Hey, everybody, before we start the show, I just wanted to tell you that we have a Patreon if you're interested in supporting the show. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com and you can get rid of all of the pesky commercials. And it's cheap. It's only a dollar a month. Patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host. And this episode is not a week late. This episode is on time. Stick with me. I did not take a week off last week because I was overwhelmed and super busy. This episode is on time. On our last episode of Kilowatt, I had a story about Volkswagen of America requiring owners to come into the dealerships to get an over-the-air update. I didn't quite understand why this was, and I I, uh, expressed my confusion on the show. Tommaso, who is a Patreon supporter, sent me a message on Slack. By the way, if you want to be a part of the Kilowatt Slack, all you have to do is email me, and I will send you a link to sign up. Uh, But here is Tommaso's message. Bodhi, I just listened to your podcast from last week. It was totally last week and not two weeks ago, talking about the ID4. I got a couple of emails from Volkswagen of America about the over-the-air update. The reason the ID4 needs to be brought into the dealership is so that Volkswagen can upgrade the 12-volt battery in the car. The hope is, after this initial update, future updates will be true over-the-air updates, Volkswagen of America promised ID4 owners um, an over-the-air update every 12 weeks. So that makes a lot more sense. And thank you, Tommaso, for clearing that up. Um, Of course, you would need to bring the vehicle to the dealership if they were going to do something like update the 12-volt battery in the car. Tommaso, thank you very much for shedding some light on this. I want to thank James for tipping me off uh, to this article that we're basing this week's episode on. The goal of this episode is to arm you with facts when you're talking to that family member or close friend or even just some rando that shows up at the party. Uh, 
about EVs, and they just want to remind you that EVs are ruining the earth and ice cars are much better for the environment because EVs are powered by dirty coal. These tend to be the same people who defend clean coal over renewables. Um, as we know, there's no really such thing as clean coal. It still emits CO2 and quite a lot of it. One of the other things they might say is that EVs will never overcome the CO2 generated just in the mining process, just getting those raw materials out of the ground. EVs will never overcome that. Uh, one of the other things, let's see here, one of the other things that they talk a lot about, or at least people that I talk with, is that cobalt used in EV batteries comes from slave labor. And unfortunately, this one can be true. Uh, the, Tim the Democratic Republic of Congo does have some mines. I'm not going to say every one of them. I'm not even going to say the majority of them because I just don't know. But there are definitely mines, uh, cobalt mines in the, in the Congo that do not follow, um, let's just call it humane working conditions for adults or for children. Like there should be no children working in these mines. But there are places where that exists. By the way, if you're, if you're curious, cobalt doesn't just exist in that part of the world in the Congo. Uh, cobalt exists also in China and Russia. Right now we're not on the best terms with those two countries, but you can find cobalt in friendly countries to us here in the United States. And that would include Canada. And then of course, Alaska is not a country, it's a state, but they just found some cobalt in Alaska as well. Something else that's worth mentioning is that a lot of EV car makers are going to um, lithium iron phosphate batteries, LFP batteries, and these can be cobalt free and they might all be cobalt free. I'm just not going to say that they are. Um, the ones that Tesla uses, I believe, are cobalt free or there's a very, very small amount of cobalt being used. And even in like a nickel manganese cobalt EV battery, there's only about 10 to 24 pounds of cobalt in the entire battery pack. So there's not a lot of cobalt that they're using. But if you spread this out at scale, it does end up being quite a lot. All right. So now that we've kind of painted a picture of what this imaginary conversation is probably going to be like, let's go ahead and talk about uh, emissions, CO2 emissions. We're going to talk about direct and indirect emissions. This is a very basic explanation of direct and indirect emissions. As you all know, um, I'm just a bozo with a mic who isn't afraid to talk into it and then heavily edit himself later so he doesn't sound like a, a huge bozo, just a, a small bozo. Like, there's a lot that goes into how CO2 emissions are tracked and calculated. I'm not going to be talking about any of that. This is, like I said, very simple explanation to help get a better sense of what's to come in terms of uh, the information that we are going to repeat back to some of these folks. So when we're talking about tracking and calculating emissions, there are kind of three scopes when it comes to direct versus indirect. And the goal is to keep this conversation still around EVs and, and internal combustion engines or ICE cars. So with scope one, we're talking about direct emissions. These are emissions that are created on site. So if we're talking about a vehicle, if you're driving around an ICE car, the fuel being burned is considered 
a direct emission, whether that's diesel, natural gas, propane, gasoline, that's a direct emissions because it's being burned on site. So that's pretty simple and easy to understand. So let's move on to scope two, which is indirect emissions. These are emissions that are not created on site, but you are contributing to these emissions. So if you're at home and you turn on your lights or you're charging your car, that is an indirect emission. How dirty these emissions are really depends on the power being generated or how the power is being generated, I should say. Coal being the dirtiest, natural gas is dirty, but still not as dirty as coal. And then we have nuclear, uh, which has no CO2 emissions, but you do have to deal with nuclear waste. And that could be problematic because you have to store it for a very long time. Um, and it causes cancer. So there's that. Um, I mean, natural gas and coal also can cause cancer. But if you get exposed, directly exposed to nuclear waste, uh, you're, you, that's an acute exposure and you are definitely going to get cancer and die quickly. So uh, that's bad juju. And I know that some people uh, want to claim that nuclear power, uh, even though it doesn't create any CO2 emissions, uh, there are still vehicles driving around the plant. There are still vehicles driving and, and supporting like the, the electrical grid. So, um, you know, some emissions are being generated that way. I don't know if I would call them direct emissions, indirect emissions, and it really doesn't matter. And then we have renewable energy, which would be our cleanest source of energy, but not necessarily our most efficient source. And then that leads us again to scope three, which is uh, also an indirect emission, but it largely deals with like mining and the supply chain and things like that. So if you were to compare the emissions from mining raw materials, refining those raw materials, producing and and building the vehicle and all the other supply chain emissions that I, I just don't know about, the EV is going to have a larger uh, CO2 footprint than an ICE car just because of basically it's because of the battery pack because everything else is really similar, right? A door is a door, whether it's on an ICE vehicle or it's on an, on an EV. The difference is over time, the EV will overcome those CO2 emissions that were used to uh, build it. So let's just kind of break that down a little bit. If an EV and an ICE car are built on the same day and sold on a, on the same day, and they get into an accident one year after the date of purchase, both vehicles, then the ICE car will have less CO2 emissions than the EV. The EV will have higher CO2 emissions. Now, if that same accident occurs to both vehicles eight years from the date of purchase, then the EV has produced less CO2 emissions overall than the ICE car. This is obviously due to the ICE car being powered by gasoline or diesel. Fuel gets put into the tank, burned, CO2 is produced, and then, you know, rinse and repeat, and it's perpetual until the car dies. Um, kind of a side note here. I realize that there are propane and natural gas powered vehicles. Natural gas actually releases less CO2 into the atmosphere than gasoline, but we're not going to talk about edge cases today. 
And the reason why is because there's not very many natural gas powered vehicles as compared to gasoline powered vehicles. So it's not even that many diesel vehicles when you compare it to gasoline powered vehicles. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about some gasoline facts versus EV facts. First up, we're going to talk about the gasoline facts. Gasoline as a fuel is actually very energy dense. The problem is, is only a small percentage of that potential energy is used to power the vehicle. According to fueleconomy.gov, only about 12 to 30% of the energy from gasoline goes to power the cars. And here is how the energy loss is broken down. Idle losses, so if you're just sitting there at uh, a light, that's 3% of the fuel is burned just from idling. Drivetrain losses, getting energy to the wheels, 3 to 5% is lost. Auxiliary electrical is 0 to 2%. Parasitic losses, which would be like your water pump, your fuel pump, oil pumps, that kind of thing, 4 to 6% lost. Energy to the wheels is 16 to 25% loss. And then energy heat losses are 68 to 72% loss. So pretty significant. Now, I've seen other um, articles out there stating different numbers, but I took this from fueleconomy.gov because I thought that theirs would probably the most would be the 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 numbers most uh, based in science. So that's why I took those numbers. By the way, if when you look at diesel fuel, 30 to 40 percent of the fuel of diesel fuel is actually used to power the vehicle forward. So I just threw that in there because I thought it was interesting. Now let's talk about EVs. One of the main advantages or a big advantage that EV motors have over ICE engines is that EV motors are much more efficient. And then the other advantage that EVs have over ICE vehicles, of course, is you can use renewable energy to power your EV. You can't use renewable energy to power an ICE vehicle. As far as how much energy is sent uh, to power the vehicle, gasoline, remember, is 12 to 30%. EVs send 87 to 91% of the power to the wheels. And actually, it's a little bit less because 22% of the power sent to the wheels is recovered with a regenerative braking. And that, that's what brings the total to 87 to 91%. So it's a little bit less, but once you add in that regenerative braking, it brings those totals up a little bit. Now, I started this uh, podcast off talking about a close friend or family member or some rando at the party talking about how EVs are only powered by coal. And that's simply untrue. Only 22% of the energy we use here in the United States comes from coal. So it's very unlikely that somebody is getting 100% of their power from coal. And coal use for electricity is actually declining by quite a bit. In 2008, we used about a billion short tons of coal a year. And in 2021, we used 501 million short tons of coal a year. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that EVs are 100% powered at, by coal. And in our little scenario, we're going to replace all ICE cars on the road with EVs. So no ICE cars exist on the road at all. Then the U.S. would reduce its energy use by 31%. 
And to make this example more clear and easier to follow, right now, Americans use about 9 million barrels of oil a day. If we switch to coal power, then we're only using 6 million barrels of oil a day. If we switch to natural gas, then we're using four and a half billion or million barrels of oil a day. And if we switch to renewable energy, we're only using 2.3 million barrels of oil a day. Remember, EV motors are much more efficient than their ICE counterparts. You know, what did I say? 87 to 91% of the energy in that battery is used to propel the vehicle forward. So our energy use will actually decrease. And I'm going to talk about the oil supply chain here in just a moment. Right now in the United States, our grid, our electrical grid, is made up of 38% natural gas, 22% coal, 20% renewables, 19% nuclear power, and 1% petroleum. Now, many of you know who listen to this podcast, or at least should know, that the United States does not have, like when you plug your, your car in to be charged, you are not charging that vehicle up with 38% natural gas, 22% coal, 20% renewables, 19% nuclear, and 1% petroleum. You're charging your car on the source that's closest to you and whatever that happens to be, right? For me here in in Arizona, natural gas is the largest percentage of where I get my electricity, but I also get electricity from the nuclear power plant. And I get, uh, I, I can't remember the breakdown. I looked it up. I should have written, wrote it down. I didn't. But I have solar panels on my house. And because I have solar panels on my house, some of the energy that would go into my electric car would come from renewables, a higher percentage than what wouldn't unless I was charging at night. But if I was charging during the daytime, during off-peak hours, my car is powered by sun, right? Um, unfortunately, there are places in the United States where coal is the biggest source of contributing source to electricity. And in those places you can still put solar panels on your house. And in fact, many people see the benefit after they buy an electric car or slightly before they buy an electric car to install solar panels on their home because one, it's a great way to save money. And two, it'll save you money when you're charging your vehicle. And three, you know, some, I'm not going to say all, but some, you know, really do care about the environmental impact. Now, your friends might say to you still how dirty it is to mine coal and how bad it is for the environment fracking for natural gas. And that is true. Um, that's going to bolster their anti-EV argument. And like I said, they're 100% correct. But what they fail to leave out is, one, gas burns very dirty and produces a lot of CO2. But I grew up in Alaska. I grew up right by, like I grew up right next to the Tesoro Refinery. Right down the road was the Chevron, Chevron refinery. I didn't like it wasn't even that far. I passed it on the way to school. That's how close it was. When you drive on the Spur Highway, on the Kenai Spur Highway, you can see the oil platforms out in the in the ocean. That's how that's how integral oil was to the community that I grew up in. What these folks are are leaving out is the emissions or CO two created. When you drill for oil, when you pump oil, 
you have to transport that oil to storage tanks, and then you're going to store that oil for a while, and then you're going to transport that oil to refineries, and then from there, it's going to go through the refining process. This is all creating CO2. And after the refining process, they're going to transport that gasoline to more storage tanks. And then from the storage tanks, wherever those happen to be, it could be right down the road. It could be several hundred, if not thousands of miles away. It's going to go to the local gas or petrol station. And from there, you have to pump the gas into your vehicle and anything else that I'm forgetting. All of that creates CO2. So you have what is, you have the, what the gasoline creates CO2 emissions. And then you have the whole process from drilling from the oil to pumping the gasoline into your car. All of that creates a carbon footprint. So, um, you know, that's a lot. Uh, uh, there's a New York Times article that states after uh, about a year and a half, if you take an EV and a nice car, you know, like we'll, we'll just break it up into sedans. Like if you have an EV and a nice car sedan, it takes about a year and a half to overcome that, that those CO2 emissions so that the EV is actually now cleaner than the ice car. Remember when I talked about at the beginning of the show, I said, if you, if one year after uh, the car was sold, both vehicles got into an accident, the ice car was actually cleaner. Well, after a year and a half, it flips and the EV is now cleaner. It's about two years for SUVs. Um, it's a little bit more than a year and a half for pickup trucks. So not too bad. And that's from mining the raw materials all the way to being on the road for a year and a half uh, to two years, depending on the type of vehicle. Like a, a light duty internal combustion engine and a light duty ice vehicle produces one and a half gigatons of CO2 per year. Nearly three quarters of that CO2 produced comes from burning fossil fuels. So it's pretty significant. And you can see why in such a short amount of time, because I was actually surprised. I thought it would be probably longer than that for an ice car or for an EV to be cleaner than an ice car. But it's a year and a half. One and a half gigatons of CO2 per year is produced from that ice car. That's pretty significant. So I know I've talked for a long time on this, and I'm, I'm going to close it up here. When you get the argument that the indirect CO2 emissions of an EV battery or EV is dirtier than a car, you now have some additional facts to round out or fill into the gaps of your friend or family members incomplete or inaccurate data. Again, oftentimes their their data is not wholly inaccurate. It's just mostly complete, or at least that's what I've found. And real quick, I want to leave you with one more thing. According to the article that I read, and I put every all my source material in the show notes, according to the article that I read for this, the energy required to produce one EV battery pack is equivalent to 74 gallons of gasoline. That's about how much I, uh, that's about how much gasoline I put in my car every month. That's pretty crazy. All right, everybody, that is it for me this week. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for being patient for that week that I definitely did not miss. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday. I hope you all have a wonderful new year. We will have a show on Friday. <laughs> and I just want to thank everybody 
for listening and supporting this show over the years. It means a lot to me. I really appreciate each and every single one of you who listens. I appreciate each and every single one of you who emails in or sends me a message on Twitter. It all makes a difference to me and it's all good and it's all love. And I want to return some of that love back to you. So thank you so much for listening to this show. It, it really does mean a lot to me. All right, everybody. I hope you have a nice couple of relaxing days coming up into the new year. And I will talk to you on Friday. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.